Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by Paul from Stop Forum Spam. Hi, welcome to the show. Great, thanks for having me. So, Paul, you've got some really interesting stories to tell about the Cloudflare workers. Um, but before we get into that, can you tell the audience about your your work with uh, Stop Forum Spam, what it is, and uh, what you guys are doing? Sure. Uh, the project started as a learning to code experience about 14 years ago now. Uh, and it started off as providing a very simple API to half a dozen, a dozen forums. Um, so they could pull the information about um, email addresses and IP addresses that had been spamming their forums so that the information shared could then be used by other forums to block registrations. And it slowly grew uh, from 5,000 requests a day to its current request rate of about 350 requests a second over that period of 14 years. And there's been some fairly serious architectural changes along the way as as was needed, necessity. You know, we just couldn't handle the load coming through. At the moment, we have 300,000 clients and they're all welcome to crowd share their spammers that are hitting them and you know for the benefit of of the entire infrastructure the the clients it's been getting very busy and as we've moved through each engineering phase we've come to the stage now where we've migrated the entire lot from running in vps servers throughout um throughout europe and america to now running entirely on the cloudflare workers um, serverless framework I've been really excited to see that for that that pick up and go and and without any without any issue as well. Okay, very cool. So, um, can you maybe t- tell us about how the architecture looked like before? Uh, you had the servers running in the U.S. Uh, regions as well as in the European regions. Uh, what one of the things do you have uh, in terms of database, in terms of uh, load balancers, and so on? Sure. Um, if we go back a couple of years to its previous iteration which had been running for about five years before the migration, there had been one server with a main server in in, in Europe, and that was running um, Percona SQL, MySQL um, 5.6 for several years, uh, fronted by um, a load balancer, really just for fault tolerance to a couple of Nginx servers running PHP, uh, all hand-coded PHP no framework at all because at the time we started writing it there wasn't much in the way of a frameworks that i was happy with anyway so it was just pure php data was initially coming out of mysql however as the request started increasing and more and more people started using it sql just couldn't handle the load so we pushed it into into a caching layer with memcache and eventually that couldn't handle the load and then pushed it into redis and at that point we quite happy with Redis because it allowed us to bring up a couple of more VPS nodes in Europe and the US and then use the internal Redis replication in order to push the API data around in real time. With some work on Redis, we were able to get the the memory usage down from its initial 800 megabytes of of usage down to 160, 180 megabytes per node, um, which brought the VPS cost down quite a lot so we could run an API node on a $5 LIN node which is really quite handy. It's a free service. We're not funded by anyone. It's all just out of my own pocket. So keeping the cost down was, you know, 
very beneficial to me as well. So we used a custom version of Redis, which added a couple of commands for, for doing IP space searches. And that's how it ran for about five years. And then the infrastructure started to creak around the edges and I had a couple of servers fall over, I put the whole lot behind Cloudflare after being hammered with denial service attacks, used um, Securi from uh, what is now GoDaddy service to do geographic load balancing. And that really kept the system very stable for quite a while. But there was a lot of hopping between networks and I was just not quite happy with it. So when Cloudflare um, announced serverless, I thought, well, this seems like a good platform. It runs on the on the network edge, it runs close to your server. And in, with clients hitting the server quite frequently, latency is a real issue. So if I can keep the latency down, then I'm not going to be impacting users. If stop forum spam went down, I could see hundreds of thousands of sites having issues, and I really don't want that to happen. So I plowed ahead and ported the PHP code that was running the API to JavaScript and started tinkering around with learning JavaScript and learning serverless, the way that it worked, the issues with it, the pros and cons, and then moved into the data migration. There was issues with data sharding, how's the best strategy for moving data between where it is on MySQL to where it is in the primary key store um, in, in Cloudflare. And, and, and came to a nice balance of trying to keep the traffic down between the nodes and the data store while still keeping the latencies right down. And um, after a couple of months of, of tinkering around with the code, I was quite happy enough to give a, a guy know, um, a look at it. He came up with some comments and, and we worked on some code revisions and then deployed. No one was the wiser. There was no reports of issues or API inconsistencies. I was really quite happy, and it's been running very well. That's actually a really interesting story, the migration from uh, using more traditional you know, server for implementations <coughs> to now entirely running on edge-based workers with your key value store. Uh, but for the listeners who are not familiar with how Cloudflare workers work and how the key, v, uh, key value store works, can you maybe just uh, give us a quick explanation for uh, what that looks like in terms of uh, architecture, but also you know, how do you write the code and deploy them? Sure. The Cloudflare serverless will deploy your code to run on the Edge network on any of the Cloudflare point of presences. And there is coming on 170, I believe. So if you have a server in Los Angeles and you request um, an, an API query, it's going to be served from a Los Angeles server. Same for Singapore and Singapore, Auckland and New Zealand. They keep it locally. However, the data store is not. The data store is in the US. So if something isn't cached in the local data center, uh, the worker has to request it from the, the main server in the US. That could add latency if you're requesting a lot of data, which is why I spent such a long time on trying to shard the data in such a way that your small request to a data center in Auckland isn't going to result in two or three megabytes of data being hauled down from Los Angeles. At the moment, it's kept it down to about two kilobytes, which with compression is a single packet. So with the Argo tunnel between the between the sites, um, if, if data isn't cached, then it's pulled from Los Angeles and then cached. And I'm also doing um, process caching and trying to keep everything in the data center as long as I can before it's expunged and the next request comes through and has to go back to Los Angeles. 
Unfortunately, you can't really see anything in the Cloudflare metrics to see which amount of data is actually being kept locally in process in data center or then being pulled from, from um, Cloudflare in the US. So it really was just trial and error. Pull a large shard with lots of data. What was the latency? You reduce the shard size, but increase the amount of shards stored in KV and, and come to this nice metric of, you know, this works well and isn't going to be a manageability issue. If I would just done one primary key per record, there would be millions sitting in KV, then you end up with an issue with being unable to populate KV because the Cloudflare API only allows you to set 10,000 keys in a request and a 50 megabyte request limit. It would take four or five weeks to process that many keys. Um, so there is a nice balance there at the moment, and I'm very quite happy with it. Uh, for deploys, um, this is where... Uh, Cloudflare Actions uh, comes into effect. MySQL pushes all the data it needs to on a cron basis to, to JSON, which triggers a Cloudflare worker, uh, which validates the request and then pushes it into GitHub. And then GitHub runs a an action, which pushes the JSON into the code base and deploys the API uh, with an updated JSON, which includes the global identifiers like the the whitelists and the, the deny lists for domains and IP addresses and ranges that aren't dynamically updated in the API. And as with every anti-spam service, data that's an hour out of date is, is stale data. The data is refreshed every 10 seconds into KV just to make sure that the moment a, um, a bad email address is listed, that it's available as quickly as possible to, to the customers or to the clients anyway. Um, so the, the, the GitHub workers, or the, sorry, the GitHub actions have really been invaluable in, in pushing static data out hourly to Cloudflare workers. And so it just triggers an action, GitHub compile, uh, compiles the application and then, and then deploys it using the Cloudflare API. It's really very quite seamless and very easy to have done. I'm not a, de I'm not a developer. Well, I don't do it professionally. So this is a bit of a pet project as well. So it was all learning, but it, it was just done so easily. It really was. Okay. And uh, do you have any idea in terms of how quickly those uh, Cloudflare workers running in the, all of those different uh, edge locations get updated? <laughs> Uh, once uh, you deploy an update to them? Uh, the KV, if you make an update to KV, it's non-atomic, non um, which is what I also had to work around in the code. That takes about 10 to 20 seconds from the moment it hits MySQL to the moment it's available in the KV store. Um, the code itself takes about a minute to compile from the moment the action gets the trigger to the moment it's deployed, and then it's available within the... the um, each of the data centers within about 10 to 15 seconds from what I can tell in timing wise in testing. Uh, it doesn't take too long. Okay, that's pretty good. That's really good compared to some of the other alternatives uh, within AWS, for example, you have uh, Lambda Edge and that takes a good few minutes uh, when updates are reflected <coughs> in all the different edge locations. Um, another question I've got about uh, Cloudflare workers is that you mentioned that you're doing a lot of caching in process. So I guess that implies that the process that's running your, your, your worker code is long lived. Do you have any idea in terms of how long that process runs on for? Uh, I've spent a long time trying to figure that went out down to, down to the millisecond. However, um, as you hit a load balance 
interface, you had an, an endpoint within Cloudflare. It could go to any of the servers in the data center. The best I can tell is that my some of the processes running under load last minutes before they refreshed. The data centers that aren't running that much in the way of, of API code requests like uh, here in New Zealand, uh, it, or some of the data centers maybe in, in, in North Africa, they will last about 30 seconds before um, before the process is expunged. Um, so keeping everything in process, I can, I can keep the request down to KV to quite a lot. Okay. And uh, what about in terms of the size of the code uh, for the worker? Is there any limit on how big or how long your, your code can run for? Yes, there is. Um, and I hit that in trying to reduce KV stat, uh, KV lookup. So I thought I'd be uh, smart and, and put a bloom filter in place before going to KV to get data. However, that pushed the, the request above 50 milliseconds, which is the current execution limit on the tier that I have in Cloudflare. Now, there is a higher tier in the enterprise and there is a lower tier on the, on the free service that Cloudflare prov- provide. But I was getting issues with code executing over or not uh, dying after 50 milliseconds of CPU time, not actual, not real time CPU time. So eventually I had to pull the bloom filters out of the code. And with a little bit more in-process caching, at the moment I'm sort of running the 99.9th percentile request at 17 milliseconds, which I'm quite quite happy with. Uh, 99th percentile being about 4 milliseconds. So you... With the with the current Cloudflare workers, you have to be very wary of the CPU limits that you do have at your tier. Cloudflare have announced the the beta of their of their new un, unlimited unbound sorry Cloudflare workers unbound, um, which has a different costing model being based on per millisecond of execution. So you can run longer running code um, on that platform, but I've not put my code into to look at it. I'd be very interested, though. That way I might be able to reduce some of the KV queries and um, being able to expand on the next version of the API, which I'm currently working on at the moment, which I'm also excited to have native in, in workers and it'll be coded for workers. It won't be a port of 13 years of nightmare that I've been you know, sneaking in there and wishing I hadn't. Uh, yeah, I did remember reading that uh, announcement post, uh, of, I guess, a few weeks ago now when they first announced the, the Workers Unbound. Yeah. Um, it does look really cool. I um, still, But still, though, 99.9 percentile at the 17 milliseconds, uh, that's pretty good going. <laughs> and, it, and it's going to come down as well when um, as Cloudflare have, have merged or integrated the SNI uh, SSL certificate negotiation with the worker startup process. Previously, you'd go through the whole TLS negotiation process and then your worker would, would be spun up. Now they're spinning the workers up as a part of the TLS negotiation process. So that that was great because that reduced latency quite a bit. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, is that something that's out already or are they still working on that? No, that's something I believe that's out now. Okay, very cool. Um, and uh, one thing I do, I did have in mind as you were talking about your architecture and how requests flows through your system, uh, is how do you go about debugging things? How do you go about you know the tracing problems oh. and checking your logs? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Initially, it started with using the debug functionality in the Cloudflare editor. 
in the workers editor web web debug and in the good old console.log. Um, it wasn't until the Cloudflare Wrangler came along that you could spin up local development environments, which would allow you to provide you know, a little bit more in the way of, of node debugging. I'm, I'm not a proficient node coder, um, but I did get into the node debugging in order to, to look at some things that were really starting to get on my nerves. Um, but for the for the best part of it, I hate to say it, but console.log actually goes quite a way. So do the, all the logs that you print out with console.log uh, get centralized into one place in the Cloudflare workers, um, I guess, management console already for you? Uh, no, though, they just go to dev null. Um, so I have very little in the way of debug logs. If the process throws an exception, then I get a uh, an HTTP push through to a log collector, which I can see. Uh, I get a stack dump and a copy of the URI parameters so that I can then backtrace it. But so far, other than people running pen testing, uh, vulnerability scanning on the API, which triggers pages and pages of logs, I'm not seeing anything in the way of errors coming through from the API. There's the occasional exception thrown from the Cloudflare storage engine, but they're very infrequent and impossible to, to replicate. Okay, cool. Um, so I think yeah. uh, uh, that's everything I wanted to ask about Cloudflare Workers, uh, but you mentioned that you've got a new project yeah. you're working on, or is that a new code base uh, for stop forum spam? For the API, yes. Um, at the moment, the version 1 API is, is 13, 14 years old, and I've been adding things to that as people have been requesting them. But um, as with everything that grows organically, you wish you could go back and revisit it and rebuild it, but I just didn't have the time. So I thought API version two, I'm just going to rebase the entire code. It's going to be JSON only instead of uh, instead of some of the more colorful um, serialization formats that API version one supports. I'm going to deprecate API version one, but I'm never going to remove it. Um, there are just too many people out there that rely on it and an old code base that's unsupported. And I think that would just be cruel of me. So version two is going to be entirely on Cloudflare workers. People that are running version one need not worry about the API becoming unavailable. It's just not going to happen. It's going to it's going to remain there free for everyone to use for eternity. I'm looking at how API version two could use GraphQL, um, how we could personalize it more for a per user experience if there's functionality that we can put into the API so that any existing integrations with software that you can't edit, we could extend that. So people are bouncing ideas off it all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm chatting to people on, on the Stop Forum Spam site. Um, you know, we've got a great, great community there of people that are that volunteer their time as much as I volunteer my time to it. So it's all it's all been a great experience. To think it's come a long way from how can I learn to code PHP and MySQL? I know let's play around with this to something that's serving three hundred thousand clients, the best part of seven or eight billion requests a year, and a terabyte of traffic a month. It's it's come a long way, and I want to see it grow even more. That sounds uh, pretty exciting. And also, I guess I've not heard anyone running GraphQL in the worker, uh, in Cloudflare worker or any sort of edge workers uh, for that matter. So I'm really quite interested to see how that project pans out. Um, but I guess I do want to ask you about uh, this this uh, new version uh, in terms of uh, what's the sort of the, the, the rollout plan? 
because uh, 300,000 clients, that's a huge number of people that have to upgrade to your new API. Do you have like uh, some idea in terms of how you're going to roll out this uh, new version? Um, it's just going to be rolled out on a different endpoint, a different uh, REST endpoint for the moment. Version one's not going to change. The code base for version one isn't going to change. It's just going to use the Cloudflare workers routing um, to route the new API, the new version requests to a different uh, to a different worker. So the the two will run completely independently of each other. And if you don't want to upgrade your API version one, you won't have to. I'm not going to mandate that at all. I'm just hoping that version two is going to provide enough in the way of of new features and interesting features that people go, you know, that sounds like a really good thing. Let me just change the endpoint and and use JSON. Um, and if you don't want to use the new features, then I'm trying to make version two as much as backwards compatible as I can with version one. So if if you don't want the new features, you just ignore them in the serialized output. If you want to use GraphQL, I'm still playing with that. I had a had a friend tease me about implementing that. And I discounted it, but uh, uh, I can't help it. It's, it's sitting in there in the back of my mind now. So I'll probably end up deploying a GraphQL version of, of the endpoint as well, just to keep him happy and stop him nagging me. But the code base is coming along slowly. I'm doing it on my spare time. The whole project's a, a, a hobby as such. And so I, I tinker around on the API code and the features uh, in my spare time and in the weekends and the evenings. And so there is no real time scale. I certainly would want to have API version 2 deployed before the end of the year. Well, certainly available to people to test um, and pro provide um, not so much functional testing, but um, an integration testing uh, feedback about the features, testing the features, and seeing if they really work in the environments that most people are going to be using it in, which is protecting their forums, blogs from the scourge of criminal spam. Uh, it's not used exclusively in those. It's used by uh, small companies to prevent fraud on their websites. Um, you, you get these emails um, from from small companies to say, you know, we, we implemented your API in, in this way, and I'd never thought it'd be done that way. But they said, look, you know, you've saved us hundreds of thousands of, of pounds in fraud every year. Thanks very much. It's, it's, it's things like that that really want to make me keep doing this. That's amazing. And uh, also, I guess, um, good luck with the new version of your API. Uh, sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun up ahead for you in terms of uh, learning, but also just the, the building stuff. Um, how about in terms of the cost? Because you're volunteering your time, but also, like you said, you're paying for all of these things yourself as well. Uh, what's the cost looking like for Cloudflare workers so far? Uh, well, the whole costs are, are, are pretty good. LeaseWeb in the Netherlands provide me a server for free. Um, and they have for several years now. And um, you know, a big thank you to 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 Lise Webb and particularly Leslie who who uh, keeps it all running for me. Um, Linode provided some VPS servers as well, um, and Cloudflare provided the the workers as a part of their you know for the greater good project. Um, so at the moment, it's serving thirty million requests a day, and on the costing model, that is about twenty five US dollars a day. So if if there was a if there was a financial backing and I had budget in order to, to, to work on whatever infrastructure I wanted, then you know Cloudflare Serverless is just brilliant. Uh, I, I don't see why anyone wouldn't run an API on it if they're running a business. 
is a project for the better good um, in my spare time, if Cloudflare hadn't stepped up and, and offered a service as they had, then it would still be running on, on VPS servers. You know, I managed to get the code running on a $5 Linode VPN servers and they were rock solid. So I could have had five of those running uh, in Europe and the US and and, and just kept Redis. And uh, so instead of $25 a day, it would have been $25 a month. But there were so many customers or so many people using it. I had to provide more in the way of high availability and redundancy and fault tolerance and Cloudflare Workers does it. So I'm using it. Okay, very good to know, and uh, good, really good of them to you know, step up to the plate and uh, you know, help out the community by paying for the infrastructure for your project. Oh, it's been phenomenal of them. I couldn't have done it without them. All right, so um, I guess that's the end of all the questions I've had. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to tell the listeners before we go? Are there any personal projects that you want to mention? Uh, this, is, this is pretty much it. I'm working on this in much of my spare time, um, and... I'm hoping to get more into the the serverless environment and the serverless community here in New Zealand. Um, unfortunately, COVID has kind of put a bit of a damper on that. Um, I was shortlisted for a 10-minute lightning talk at the Serverless Auckland conference, um, which has since been cancelled or delayed to next year. So I'm hoping that you know, playing around in, in, in Cloudflare Serverless will give me a bit more experience so I can go to that next year and provide a, a better knowledge to, to people who are interested in hearing about either the project or Cloudflare Serverless. Yeah. They're a small, they have a small market share, the giants of of uh, Azure with Functions and Lambda and, and, and AWS and, and, and Google. But, you know, there are other, one, there are other serverless providers out there that provide just as good a service. And, uh, and so the more I'm learning, the more I can compare, I want to have a look more at AWS Lambda. So I'm just naturally curious about it all. So it, it seems like a fantastic emerging technology, one that I'm interested in. So, you know, why not turn the, the, the personal interest into professional interest as well? Excellent. And looking forward to, uh, well, when, to, to COVID going away and being able to see uh, your talk at the Serverless Days Conference. Well, <clears throat> it'll be online. I'll send you an invite. Great. Sounds good. Perfect. And uh, with that, thank you again for joining us today and uh, sharing your story. Uh, and I hope you stay safe and uh, hopefully see you sometime. Well, I look forward to COVID being over and getting back to Europe to um, to um, see tech and do tech and talk tech as well, because I, I spent many years there and, and have a great love for the place. Uh, it'd be good to get out there and, and see and talk to some familiar faces. So thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks. That's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes and the transcript, please go to realworldserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.